As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Weekend Preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, sponsored by Bet365. I'm Dan Bardell and today myself and co-host George Ellick will preview the best of the weekend's FA Cup action alongside Bet365's Steve Freeth. be good for you two actually to go through some uh, some FA Cup action instead of Premier League because you two get to talk about your favourite thing which is the EFL George who's obviously an expert on the EFL and Steve whose team that he supports spends a lot of time in the EFL <laughs> yeah it'd be good be good to talk about claim, some different I don't teams. claim to be I don't go swanning around claiming to be an expert watching their games <laughs> I actually go to the games yeah. <laughs> no time seat how, how are we both? I'm excellent actually I'm in good form unlike Stoke who I've seen twice over the last few days have been uh Pretty average to say the least, but I was treated to Manchester City Leicester on Boxing Day, so that was an absolute belter. Yeah, I kind of ruined your thing on Twitter where you said, "Guess where? Guess where this is?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was going for a Northern game because it was like pie gravy, you know, like they're thinking League One, League Two, or whatever. And it was, yeah, it was Manchester City. I couldn't, yeah. I, I couldn't resist getting involved. But yeah, well. FA Cup third round. Have either of you got any any treasured memories from the FA Cup? Because we do, you know, fat football fans, proper football fans, that they, they, they do love the FA Cup, don't they, George? I mean, I, I absolutely love it. I um, Whenever I see fans of, of Premier League clubs claiming that we should abolish it and this, that and the other, I mean, in my opinion, it is the purest form of football. And for for us um, fans of, of League One, League Two clubs, of, of National League clubs and the rest, uh, it is the opportunity to take on the the best teams, even if it doesn't end too well, um, which is what football's all about. It's the promise of a, a one-off game where um, you're pitting yourself against a team who are better and the goals that you score against those sides are different. They're special compared to, to league goals. Um, you know, talking of treasured memories, I think the last game I went to before COVID um, was an FA Cup third round replay with the team I support, Oxford. We'd gone up to, to Newcastle, Steve Bruce's Newcastle, and I and and saw us um, draw nil nil at St James's. They came back to us, uh, and we were two nil down with five minutes to go, and we scored twice in the last five minutes. And it was, you know, that's not the kind of even when you score a last minute winner in the league, scoring twice against a Premier League side at home under the lights. There's there's nothing better than that. And even though Alan San Maxima um, did what he normally does and scored an incredible goal late on in extra time to, to prevent us from penalties, everyone left that ground knowing they'd seen a very special game and something that is that lives long in the memory and, and little did we know that we wouldn't be going back to games for, for about a year or so. So I love the FA Cup. I think that um, that those, you know, it's normally going to be fans of, of top six Premier League teams who can't be bothered with it um, should should think about how big a day this is for those fans who are coming to their, see their team pit, their, pit themselves against them because it is pretty special. Nothing really comes close. Yeah, and you must have some memories over your, your checkered football history, Steve. I'm still scarred, Dan, from 1991. When uh, when Woking, came, little Woking came to the Albion, uh, the Hawthorns third round, Brian Talbot and Sam Allardyce were in charge and it was expected to be a comfortable victory against the Cards. And we actually won the lot from a corner. Colin West got ahead and won the lot at half time. You're thinking, well, job done, banker on the coupon. 
Uh, unfortunately, there's a certain Tim Bezaglo that uh, had an absolute field day against, uh, I think it was Gary Strider and, uh, and Graham Roberts. You'll remember him from, from being a great defender back in the day. And he got a hat-trick in 15 minutes and we ended up losing 4-2. And did the fans riot? No, they went on the pitch. They lifted up Tim Bezaglo on, onto their shoulders and paraded him round the ground as like some sort of hero even though we've been absolutely embarrassed. So I still can't shake that one off, but I'm sure that's great memories for Woking fans as well, which was a great day for them. Not so good for the Albion and Talbot and Allardyce were sacked quite swiftly afterwards. Yeah, I was saying to you both yesterday, when I think of the FA Cup third round, I just think of just dreaming of not getting Manchester United in the <laughs> FA Cup third round because we just always get them. Yet again. So I, can't, I, don't, I don't know exactly how many times it's been, but it feels like it's been a lot of times in my lifetime Villa get Manchester United in the FA Cup third At round. At least it's always on TV, being... so you don't have to, you know, you don't have to get off the sofa. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've got, I've got memories of being 2-0 up, heading into the fourth round, and then Manchester United bring on Ruud van Nistelrooy and him just scoring a hat-trick in five minutes <laughs> or, some, or ten minutes or whatever it was, something stupid, and we're, we're, we're on our way. I think I might have even cried. After Maybe that, that was fake, Dan, for about, I mean, clearly you weren't around, even I weren't around in 57, where I think uh, Peter McParlin, wasn't it? I think he yeah. got a couple of goals in that game and the goalkeeper was kind of uh, in the back of the net, I think, and had to be, and think an outfield player had to go in nets for Manchester United yeah. that day. Maybe it's a bit of payback from 57. Well, we've not had much luck since 1957 because we haven't won any FA Cup since then. I said to you yesterday as well, even when Villa, um, even when Manu didn't enter the competition because they, they decided they weren't going to enter it one year because of the World Club Cup, we got the lucky loser that would have been them. So, and then we only scraped past them. I think it was Darlington. We only scraped past them 2-1 as well. So yeah, we just can't seem to avoid Manchester United. And yet again, we have them this year in the third round. Let's look at these fixtures then. Step away from memory lane. The first one is Swindon v Man City, Friday at 8 o'clock. Steve, Man City, 10 points clear at the top. Did they impress you over the festive period? They've, they've actually gone and made the title race quite boring now, haven't they? Yeah, I think we were expecting a... A three-horse race, guys, weren't we, at the, at the start of it? It wasn't that long ago that Chelsea were 2-1 to one for the title when they beat Leicester, I think it was, in November. And Liverpool were 9-4 after touching, 9-4 uh, after Divock Origi's late winner at, uh, at Molyneux. But all of a sudden, you know, City have just bounded clear. 12-1 to one on they are now to, to win the league. 11-10 to 10 to win the, uh, win the title by 10 points or more. They won it by 12, I think, last season. But as we said at the, at the top there, going to the, that game on Boxing Day, the first 25 minutes when City just absolutely blitzed them. I thought it was going to be a record score. I thought it was going to be uh, 10, 10 goals scored by one team in the Premier League for the first time in history. But I'll tell you what, I'll give Leicester City some credit and Brendan Rodgers, the way they set up, even though there were two or three down, they kept going for it and they had plenty of turnovers. They were pressing. James Madison was, was fantastic on the break as well. He ended up having six shots on that game, in that game. No surprise that he scored. He could have scored a lot earlier. Uh, Iheanacho as well had three shots on target. They made a real game of it. Um, clearly, the games against Brentford and Arsenal weren't as comfortable, but I suppose they, they ground it out and that's what champions do. Does Pep deserve credit for the fact that it says they, that they haven't got a striker? I mean, they have got a lot of world-class players, so I'm not, I'm not sure he deserves a massive amount of credit because they, their squad is unbelievable despite the striker shortage. But to have moved away so clear, I guess, you know, Liverpool and Chelsea are, are incredible teams. So to move away and be this clear already, it does speak volumes. Yeah, it does. I mean, I, I think we have to, before giving Man City too much credit for what they've done over the festive period, we have to acknowledge that Chelsea and Liverpool had quite a big part to play in, in the title race seemingly ending over the period of a couple of weeks um, from dropping plenty of points while City did enough to, to get over the line in a few games where they weren't at their most impressive. You know, certainly Brentford were able to to set up in a in a way where they didn't really look to attack too much, but they were able to frustrate um, City. Uh, and, then, and then in the Arsenal game, which I think we're going to talk about in a second, I thought Arsenal were quite clearly the better team until it was 10 against 11. So, I mean, of course, Pep deserves credit. And, you know, one of the things I think he deserves the most credit for is we talk about how they don't have a recognised striker. Well, well, they do, but he's playing a, a right wing in Gabriel Jesus, who's having a, a brilliant season and looks a, a completely different player to what we've seen previously uh, and is a key part of this side now. Um, and they're able to rotate between him and Mares. They're able to rotate between Grealish and Foden. They have so many options. And whoever they play in that false nine role, they never really look particularly convincing. Uh, I think Bernardo Silva is the one who, who looks best when he plays there, or possibly Gundogan. Um, but none of them ever 
seem to to really be the the key player on the pitch but it doesn't matter because the players surrounding them are so good and are so well drilled in their roles that they are just a winning machine so yes Pep deserves credit um would they be a much better side with a uh, a striker in there it would be a different side so who knows I, th- I think the way they're set up at the moment enables them to get the best out of Foden to get the best out of De Bruyne who's coming back into form now um Grealish is clearly the one who still needs to step up but I, I I have no doubt that that will happen players who play for Pep often need a bit of time to get up to speed in terms of what's being demanded of them and his role at Aston Villa in terms of being the key player the player that they wanted to get on the ball as often as possible often having a couple of players doubling up on him has completely changed now where he is one small cog in a, in a big machine so I'm sure that will come but um but yeah I mean they, they are a breathtakingly good footballing side and um they are uh, you know they're, they're champions elect now I, I can't really see how how any any other eventuality would happen I, I can't see how they would drop the points needed to bring the other two back into it well, another side that's been described as a good footballing side is Swindon Town George described as the best footballing side in League 2 possibly even League 1 if you were to include those teams as well tell us about the job Ben Garner is doing George He's, he's done a magnificent job. Uh, he's a, um, a, a a previous youth team coach who got the job at Bristol Rovers last season, um, a very well-regarded coach at the time. For whatever reason, you know, he came in at a difficult time uh, just before the COVID break at Bristol, at Bristol Rovers and um, did not do a good job and, and it culminated in their relegation into League Two. And he left with you know, most Bristol Rovers fans uh, when he got the job at Swindon. Uh, their rivals, well, yeah, I mean, their rivals from down the road, um, albeit not their biggest rivals, that belongs to uh, to my team. Um, they they were telling Swindon fans not to be particularly happy with the appointment, but he's proven in, in his short time there so far that he is a very talented coach. And for for Swindon Town as well, who in the summer um, looked to be on the brink of oblivion, to be honest, under their previous owner, Clem Morfuni, an Australian businessman, bought them just in the nick of time and has invested very wisely in, t- in terms of the playing squad and the manag- manag- and the and the off-field coaching staff as well, including Ben Garner. Um, and they went from being one of the favourites for relegation to now being promotion challengers. And Garner has done this playing a really attractive brand uh, of attacking football. Um, they look to get the ball down wherever possible. They've got plenty of, of technically gifted players. Um, Johnny Williams, who many people will remember from spells in the Premier League, is is at Swindon. Jack Payne as well, who played um, for Huddersfield uh, in the Premier League, I think, as well. Louis Reed's a, a very technical uh, deep-line midfielder too. Ben Gladwin. These are all players who the only way they know how to play is to get it down and to play. So that can often be a dangerous mentality against Manchester City. You know, we saw how Brentford, a team who on their day can play as well, look just completely shut up shop. There's very little chance of Swindon looking to do that at all. Um, I would have thought they're going to look to play their own game. And as laudable as it may be, and I have no doubt that people who watch this game on on Friday night are going to come away being impressed with, with Swindon. Um, I'm not necessarily sure that will translate into a uh, a favourable scoreline for them. What's your tip then, George? Yeah, my tip um, here is, as I say, I, th- I think Swindon will come out of this with credit, but I think City at 12 on <laughs> are looking to me like, you know, we've got to find a way to get with them. And often the way to do that is Man City to win both halves. Um, and I'm going to add to that Man City to win the match by three or more goals. So a bet builder. So City to win both halves and City minus two at 10 to 11. Because I do think Spindon will, will will play their own game. They'll look to play uh, the way they normally do. But um, yeah, I'm not necessarily sure that is the way to, to play against the Pep Guardiola side and they might be picked off. Yeah, Joy, I agree with you there, George. I'm surprised that it, uh, you know, it was given. It's quite lucky it's probably to get another gig. Um, but speaking to people who have worked with him previously, he's a massively ambitious manager, a new breed of manager by all accounts. Uh, sessions and drills are fantastic. Video analysis as well. He's top draw. And he's been travelling around the top clubs as well, getting tips from all the top managers as well, so I believe. So um, it's certainly looking good for Swindon as well. I think they have the highest possession in, in League Two as well. So. I'm looking forward to this. It's certainly going to be an entertaining game, you would have thought. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Game two is Millwall v Crystal Palace. Saturday lunchtime, a London derby, Steve. I like the look of that one. That, that should be a good tie, shouldn't it? Yes, I'm, uh, I'm hopeful. And you know what? Could this be Crystal Palace's year? They have got a like good history with the FA Cup, haven't they? Well, well, they've got some well, history with the FA Cup. They have some history, but you know what? They've never won it. They've got to the final a couple of times. Uh, 1990, I'll, I'll remember that as my age, um, certainly doing that. In 2016, I think, where they lost to United after extra time. United again, FA Cup, we keep talking yeah. about it. Um, but I think this could be a fantastic year for them. I think it's a great chance to go for it. 16 to 1 to be relegated and 50 to 1 to win the FA Cup. They're sitting in mid-table with, with 23 points. I think... A bit of a concern is the way that they've conceded goals recently, and this will certainly be, a, yeah, I wouldn't say a spicy tie. I think I think it'd be a decent atmosphere as well. Uh, they have been conceding a few goals, but they, yeah, they did have 22 shots. I think Palace against against the Hammers in in, in that defeat when chasing the game as well. They've lost a couple of players to to the Afcon as well. So and it's Brighton and Hove Albion next for them as well. So that's another massive game. But I do see this as a great chance, and I can see Crystal Palace going quite deep in this competition. Oh, that's a good shout, you know, because I've enjoyed watching Crystal Palace this season. Every time I've watched them, they've entertained me. They're always in the game. I know they went 3-0 down, but then they're still they're still finding their way back into the game against West Ham. They just, they just feel like they're always in the game, and I feel like they could be a good cup side this season. Michael Elise continues to impact games from the bench, George. He'll probably get a chance to start, you would think, in the FA Cup, wouldn't he? Because he, he hasn't had many starts since he's joined Crystal Palace. Yeah, it's a bit of a surprise. Um, you know, They obviously have a, a wealth of, of attacking talent and Wilfred Zaha is an automatic pick and then RU seems to be the one that Patrick is starting at the moment and Abareze in there too. But he, it's probably not a bad thing. You know, He's a very young player. He only kind of burst onto the scene properly last season. Um, so for him to be given time to settle in um, is probably the right way to to develop what is an incredibly exciting talent. And, and games like this are where he should probably come to the fore because, you know, this is a game against a, a championship side where he excelled last season. Um, the pressure somewhat off, but getting first team minutes uh, in, in what is still an important tie uh, is important. But he's, he's an incredible player. His ball striking ability... Um, It's something I said a lot last season. It's not something you often talk about with players, but the way that he strikes a football, the technique that you see when he hits it is so impressive. His delivery is fantastic. He's got an eye for goal as well. Um, he's one of those players who you can't stand off him uh, because he will take you on, and if, and if you, because he'll, he'll kill you with his passing, and if you and if you press him, he'll skip past you as well. So, um, Palace did very well to get him. He's the kind of player that realistically teams at the top end of the Premier League, in my opinion, should have been going after. Um, but as we often see, it normally takes that that one move in between before uh, before you know these teams would rather pay a premium, having seen a you know, quite obvious um, generational talent perform for that club in between the two rather than going straight to the championship and, and getting him. But um, I'm incredibly excited to see that he's made such a good start to his Palace career and, and I'm sure it will continue. Yeah, I understand you want to highlight Jed Wallace of Millwall. Yeah, Jed um, is, I mean, we're not necessarily sure if he's going to start here because there's a lot of speculation over his um, current transfer position his contract out at the end of the season uh, it's it looks likely that he's going to be moving on uh, there's talk that Nottingham Forest are trying to to buy him basically pay a cut price fee or Besiktas being linked as well who can obviously approach him given they they can um, come in UK clubs cannot but he's an unbelievable player what he's done at Millwall over the past few seasons is so impressive incredibly fast um, with an eye for goal and laying on plenty of goals as well um, his importance to Millwall over the last few seasons has been so um so impressive so yeah I'm I'm hopeful that he gets his move I must say as as a fan of his I always assumed that when he got his move it would be to a Premier League club so Forrest would do very well to sign him um but I think if he does play here if the speculation isn't isn't too much um then this is an opportunity for him to put himself in the shop window for Premier League clubs as well Steve what's your tip for this guy 
Yeah, I'm going to keep it simple, Dan. Palace are around even money to win this game. I'll think they'll do that. And I am throwing a dart on the Eagles winning their first ever FA Cup, just like Leicester did last, uh, last year. So, Eagles to win for me. The next game we're going to look at is Hull City v Everton, which is Saturday at 5.30. For anyone who hasn't followed Hull's journey since their relegation from the Premier League, the Athletics' Phil Buckingham is on hand to fill us in. No club in English football has now been up for sale for longer than Hull City. The current chairman, Asim Alam, declared in 2014 that he would gladly relinquish control after his attempts to rebrand the club as Hull Tigers were blocked by the Football Association. I will give it away. Out means out, he famously said at a time Hull City was still a Premier League club. Only it has not been quite so straightforward. A string of prospective new owners have shown serious interest, but none have been able to conclude a deal across a timeline spanning close to eight years. Adjun Kali, the Turkish businessman and TV celebrity, hopes to be the one to add a full stop to this protracted story. He made it known as far back as the summer that he was keen to buy Hull City and formally entered into a period of exclusivity with the Allen family in late October. The process has since dragged out longer than either party had hoped, but Ilikali announced on New Year's Eve his belief a takeover would soon be completed. Most supporters will welcome a new owner with open arms. Discord and unrest have pockmarked the recent history of Hull City and only with a fresh start can the club begin to shed the apathy that has taken hold. For all that the club has achieved in their 11-year rule, for most, the Alan family have overstayed their welcome. Georgia, trials and tribulations at Hull. Yeah, I mean, it's been a, a turbulent time um, for as long as I can remember, really, at Hull. And I think fans are hopeful that this takeover, um, with a man who I've seen described as, as the Turkish Simon Cowell, um, could be uh, could be at the start of a new a new era for them. You know the relationship with the Allen family hasn't been good for a long time. Um, the uh, the prospective new owner supposedly um, announced the takeover on the Turkish version of the Voice over the weekend as well. Uh, the one thing I would say, you know, I'm no expert here, but I know that the EFL um, are under Rick Parry are trying to change the way that owners are able to buy clubs and often these takeovers are taking a bit longer than the prospective owners and the fan bases would want so I would maybe urge a bit of caution here as to whether this is going to be imminent but the new owner's given interviews in the past couple of months suggesting that he wants to fill Hull with Turkish players and um, and, and uh, Turkish managers not pretty not very good news that for Grant McCann um, they've been linked already to Barak Yilmaz which I, I can't really imagine happening but you know, those are the kind of rumours we're likely to see here. So interesting times ahead. And I think, you know, it's a similar one to the Newcastle situation where myself as somebody who, you know, I, I have an affinity to all EFL clubs and I want them all to do well. Um, I approach this with some caution, um, as you should with all um, prospective new owners, especially if they don't have a direct tie to the football club uh, in terms of being a fan. But I think for Hull fans, they are so happy um, to have, well, to, to be finally potentially seeing the back of the Alam ownership that they are incredibly excited about what the future could hold. Sounds like, sounds like chaos to me. But if they're happy, that's good. Yeah. I want the whole fans to be happy, but it does sound like it could be an absolute car crash to me. Now, Steve, back in 2020, mm. Hull were 200 to 1 to get relegated from the championship. And I believe a few people had Bet365's pants down. <laughs> I think I think it was a, it was an interesting thing, really, Dan. I think uh, we did have our trousers pulled down, yeah. And I think it was just the foresight of people that. I mean, this was a hall side that had gone to Craven Cottage and won three 0 earlier in the season. They went to Hillsborough on New Year's Day, and Jared Bowen got the winner, and they were challenging for a playoff spot. So you know, people weren't really thinking. A lot of people weren't thinking about the Tigers being relegated, and we were two hundred to one for that there's there's, uh, there's no doubt about it then of course it's a January transfer window and Grzycki and Bowen had scored 22 goals in, in the championship between them and all of a sudden there were talks about them going and clearly you know they left the football club which didn't leave them in a, in a particularly great place and you know what they won one game for the remainder of the season I was at the Bet365 for the final game before lockdown when Stoke beat them 5-1 I'm not exaggerating it could have been 10 that day and even when we, you know, we returned from from lockdown, and they got a last minute winner against Borough, 
I thought, well, maybe Hall might get out of it. They might survive. But then Albion beat them 4-2. And the, and the final nail in the coffin was the fact that Wigan, who also were relegated with their 12-point deduction, they beat them 8-0, 7-0 at half-time. They just completely, completely down tools. So, and you know, fair play, they came back the season after and it was fantastic what they've done. But it was just a, an incredible gamble landed, really. I remember um, texting... My my not the top twenty co-host and and, and uh, host of the Athletic Tactics uh, podcast, Ali Maxwell, saying a Huller price to go down at two hundred to one, and he replied saying, "Now, nah, mate, you know they're, they're too far clear." And I was like, ah, and didn't back them. And then they lost, and they were one hundred fifty to one. And I was like, "Well, I missed the two hundreds now. I'm not going to back them." And then they were hundred to one, and I was like, "I've missed one hundred fifties now." Yeah, and I never got it, on. It, it's horrible, George. Isn't it? When you miss the boat, you're, still, you're so stubborn. But who's? I know. You just don't want to who's? Miss who's? I, can't, I missed it. Who's greedy I missed enough? The I'm not getting exactly. involved. Exactly. <laughs> I do not want 150 to one winner. No, thank I you. Know. I missed it. I know, but it's all—it's all Ali's fault. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, well, we've touched on Jared Bowen there. Keen Lewis Potter, George, potentially the new Jared Bowen. Yeah, there have been a lot of um, comparisons between the two, and you know understandably so they're both wide forwards they've both got a great eye for goal Key Lewis Potter is you know that there are probably five five or ten players in the EFL who I can say with absolute confidence will be Premier League footballers in two or three years time and Key Lewis Potter is definitely one of those he is a, a brilliant player somebody who um, is probably a bit less direct in terms of the way that he carries the ball than Bowen Bowen's one of those players who gets on the ball and as soon as he gets it you know that he's basically going to drive at goal and, and try and get a shot off. Uh, Lewis Potter scores a lot of goals. He, he's creative as well. He's remarkably good in the air for somebody who isn't um, A, particularly experienced and B, doesn't have the physique of someone who you'd expect to be dominant in the air. But he's, yeah, he's he's an exciting player. He struggled in the first couple of months of this season um, to make the step up to championship level. Although, he, I mean, he was part of the side who, who came down before. Um, but he's an exciting talent and somebody who, again, who I think could use this as a platform to really make his mark and, now, having seen what Bowen's done at West Ham, he will believe that his destiny is to at least follow in his footsteps and possibly even go further. Everton's Dave. <clears throat> I mean, we've spoke about them a few times on this on this podcast this season. Well, just worrying times, bit of a toxic atmosphere. Feels like it's only going to go one way. Does Wayne Rooney look more and more like the manager they might need to replace Rafa Benitez? I don't. I'd have laughed at that comment down a few. Uh... A few months ago, I have to say, um, I've seen. I, I saw Derby uh, last week against Stoke. I thought they were better side. I thought they were uh, looked like a side that were challenging for the playoffs. In all honesty, and I'd seen them again at the Albion when Davis and Yagelka uh, were, were rolling back the years, just heading and kicking and just being really well organised. I thought in 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 what they did. I think on the flip side of that, Dan, I think it's very easy to play at the moment for Derby with no pressure on them whatsoever. Everyone's expecting them to go down. Um, so I, th- I think it's, the, and plus players, I'm interested to see what business they, you know, Derby and what the type of players that Rooney loses in the window. Cause a lot of players seem to be playing, you know, and, and they could easily go in, in January as well. Do I think Rooney's a right appointment? It would certainly unite the fans. I have to say, as you mentioned in a toxic, uh, toxic atmosphere currently at Goodison Park, but I think, no, it wouldn't be an appointment for me. It would be a romantic one. It would unite the fans, but that wouldn't be the one that I'd be looking for right now because I still think Rooney's got a lot to do. Yeah, there was an interesting interview in The Athletic in, in the week where Alan Shearer interviewed Wayne Rooney and I actually think, I think he'd probably stay quite loyal to Darba. I think even if Everton came in, I think he'd stay to the end of the season. I think it, that's the way it came across to me in that interview. But if you haven't read that, Go, do go and read it because it's a really interesting piece. Alan Shearer interviewing Wayne Rooney. George, how do you see Hull v Everton playing out? Yeah, I always think the um, ties like this are interesting from a betting perspective in the FA Cup third round because you've got a side in Hull who, despite you know having a tricky start to the season, come into this in pretty good form in the Championship. And then you've got Everton who are you know clearly coming to this in, mid- in the middle of something of a crisis. And often, I think... The odds can therefore overreact to what are the, the, the perceived um, trajectories of the clubs, and I think that might be the case here. Hull are three to one to win this, Everton nineteen to twenty. When you look at the two sides and, and the players at their disposal, and even the managers, there is daylight between these two sides, even if in their respective leads, uh, leagues they are performing uh, very differently. The nineteen to twenty, I think, is value about Everton, um, but I'm going to go for Dominic Calvert-Lewin to score first at four to one. 
you know, we saw him make his return to the sides uh, over Christmas. We saw him miss the penalty, of course, but there is no doubt at all that he is a prolific goal scorer against far better defences than, than the one that Hull are going to be able to put up, even though Hull have some decent championship level defenders, in my opinion, and some promising ones at that. Um, we know that Calvert-Lewin is going to be playing in order to get back to fitness. Uh, he may not play the 90, but in terms of first goal scoring market, he should be on the pitch when they score their first goal. He should be on penalties as well. Um, yeah, so I think Everton are the value here. And I think in, in Calvert-Lewin, we've got a player who's quite clearly the most likely player to score. Um, the class player on the pitch and at four to one seems big to get that first goal. I want to talk about Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Really in my bad books. Went early on him on fantasy football. I did think fantasy that was, football. Oh, I really, I really thought it was clever. <laughs> Unbelievable. I thought that was such a good shot. And then when I got the penalty, I was like, yes, come on. Yeah. Great shot. And then he Double game week. Double bottom. game week. Ouch. Unacceptable if you're listening, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I'm going to go against you as well, George. I'm Ooh. calling cup set. I'm calling cup set for that one. Okay. I well, yeah. I mean, well, you know, this is what I think often people can get. I, I there are some some in there. I mean, generally, I like siding with the EFL sides, um, but I think sometimes the odds just the odds are too caught up in the narrative around the the differences of fortunes of clubs when you and you kind of forget that actually, you know, the um, yeah the quality of the sides is is a, a, a further apart than the odds suggest. But we'll see. I'll, I'll drop you a text on uh, on Saturday afternoon when. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm calling it. I'm calling it. That's going in my accumulator <laughs> to win that tie. Next game we're going to look at is West Ham v Leeds, all Premier League tie, 2.15 on Sunday. Boring all Premier League in the FA Cup. But Leeds have won a game. What's that done to their relegation on, Steve? Yeah, big sense of relief, Dan, wasn't it, for Bielsa? You saw him on the touchline as well. And their three previous Premier League wins have just been by one goal margins as well. Against the size of a Generally struggling, Watford and Norwich, I'll say, and also Palace as well. So that late Dan James goals was goal would have been settled the nerves, I would have thought, for him. And after 23 shots, they certainly deserved the win. But they're they're a big old price for relegation, Dan. They're four to one for the drop. So there's you know, we still think there's a, there's a big chance of them staying in the, in the division. And that's probably down to the fact that Norwich are now one to sixteen. Um Watford looked bang in trouble at eight to fifteen. And maybe it's Burnley's time at at four or six as well, but God knows how many times have we have we said that before? They've, I know they've got games in hand, Bernie, but you know they've only won one game all season. And the interest that we've seen in uh, in Newcastle as well, the signing of Trippier, and whether there be a few more signings coming through the door up there on Tyneside. So we've eased them slightly from evens to eleven to ten as well. So uh, it's looking okay for Leeds United. Yeah, it was a happy New Year for Manuel Lanzini, George, dancing Ooh. through the Crystal Palace defence. He wasn't in the team at the, at the start of the season, but every time I've watched him, I think he's a, he's a great player. I mean, he is. I think that that Lanzini um, first goal against Palace was one of my favourite goals of the season. Only did it last that way for a couple of a couple of games. Poor Mateo Kovacic did what he did, but Lanzini's a player who I think it's only injury that has prevented him from getting that next move. Now, you know, West Ham fans will feel like um, that's a bit disrespectful to 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 them. In terms of pure talent, technical ability, ability to Im- impact games in the final third, there aren't many players better than him. I easily could have seen him getting a move to a City, to a Liverpool, had he stayed fit. And you know, he's now probably at a, at a well, he's certainly at a stage of his career where teams aren't going to those kind of teams aren't going to be looking to sign a player um, of his age. I mean, he's not necessarily old, but you're not going to see them come in for a 28 year old and spend the kind of money that West Ham are going to want for him, especially with his his injury record. So West Ham are onto a winner here. They've got a player who is top four, top six level technical ability, who's now fit and firing. He can create, he can score. Uh, He's so tidy on the ball, so rarely gives it away, whilst also having that creative spark as well. So, uh, you know, there's always that conversation. West Ham fans will say they finished sixth last season, so they shouldn't count. But but who is the best player outside the the big six, the top six? And I think Lanzini, when he's fit, has a shout uh, in that in that sphere, um, not just recency bias after that incredible goal. Anyone who hasn't seen that, I would recommend going to have a look at it. The feet, the poise, and the finish—just yeah, a beautiful player to watch and an amazing goal. And Steve, the bookies aren't confident of a top four finish for West Ham, despite all the brilliant work they've done over the last couple of years. They've got the Europa League as well, which would obviously be a passage through to the Champions yeah. League. Do they need to go for the FA Cup? I mean, yeah, I mean, they're eleven to two down for the top four. They're they're quite a way behind Manchester United, Arsenal, 
For the title uh, for, for the FA Cup, sorry, and it's 1980, the time that they last, last won it. I, I remember watching that going down memory lane again, a sunny day, Trevor Brooking's stupid header. Yeah, the Willie Young should have been sent off for, um, for that tackle on Paul Allen. But um, and I also went to the 2006 final with the, the Stephen Gerrard one, and I got out of my seat to leave at 3 2 in injury time. And of course, Gerrard hit that howitzer, and then I was back in the back in my seat just as Shaka, his lot was picking the ball out the net. So um, I think it's a good time for the Hammers to go for this. I don't think they're playing the Europa till March, which is probably around the fifth round time, I think, as well. I think they've only lost Ben Rama to the African Cup of Nations as well. They might need some defensive reinforcements, but I, I think this is a, this. I think sure West Ham fans would love a decent cup run. Yeah, and what's your tip for the game, Steve? I'm going for goals, Dan. I'm hopefully, two sides like Leeds and West Ham will hopefully go for it. Admittedly, there'll be changes and we're going to wait on team news with COVID, etc., as is the way these days. But I'm going to go for over two and a half goals. And the last cup game between these two ended 7-0. So I'm not expecting that, but I would love seven goals. That would be a, a fantastic spectacle. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. Next game, Nottingham Forest v Arsenal, Sunday tea time. Now, I'm not just doing this because our producer is an Arsenal fan and I do enjoy <laughs> li- listening to him get angry and watching him get angry on Twitter about Arsenal. I was amazed at his anger. Oh, I, have to, I, think, angry I thought someone had hacked him. Angry I man. thought someone had seriously hacked him. <laughs> I'm, call, I'm, call, I'm calling Cupset though. I'm calling Cupset, Forest v Arsenal. Steve Cooper's Nottingham Forest, George. Pretty pretty tasty under under Steve Cooper since he's come in, and I think I think Arsenal could come and stuck her. Yeah, they have been. I mean, Steve Cooper's come in and done a, a phenomenal job early on um, in his time as manager. They do come into this game off the back of two defeats. They lost two nil away at Chris Wilder's Middlesbrough, and then they lost one nil at home to, to Huddersfield in a game where they missed plenty of chances. So it's not quite as rosy um, at Forest as it was a couple of weeks ago, um, but certainly under Cooper they are a very good side they are solid um, they have an array of attacking talent who will certainly cause Arsenal problems Brennan Johnson is a player you know, I mentioned those 5 or 10 players who will play in the Premier League Brennan Johnson is one of those um, there will be interest in him in January it'll be I'm sure um, rebuffed by Forrest who still think they have a chance of getting into the top 6 and, and playing Premier League football themselves next season they'll do everything they can to keep him um, Keenan Davis, a player that you know well, has just gone there uh, on loan to the end of the season. If he can stay fit, he should be very, very good at that level. But it's always the case with him is, can he stay fit? And the answer is normally no. Um, Philip Zinkenagel, another one who um, probably has the talent and quality to play top flight football. So yeah, I mean they will have the tools to um, to trouble Arsenal. But if Arsenal, I mean, I know they're... they're per- there are uh, players missing and there are likely to be a couple rested as well. But if Arsenal turn up um, 
and play the way they did in the first half, first half against Manchester City uh, on New Year's Day, then I can't see Forrest having enough to, to cause them uh, too many troubles because on that, I thought personally on that day they were they were absolutely superb. The reason I'm calling Cupset is the midfield is the midfield area. So Party mm. and Mohamed El Nene are after Afcon, Steve. Yeah, Maitland Niles is about to join Roma on loan, which feels quite weird to shift the central midfield player when you don't have any central midfield players. That leaves Granit Xhaka, who just does Granit Xhaka things, as we saw at the weekend. They're quite short in there now. Were they linked with Dougie Louise? Yeah, I'm not sure there's anything in that, though. Yeah, they have been linked with him. Yeah, so there's him. I know he's not young, but Coutinho as well, I suppose, that uh, seems to be tainted around a lot of clubs, a lot of big clubs, and, and Aston Villa as well. I knew yeah, he's got, I think I think he might be coming to Villa, Steve, the Steven Gerrard effect. No, and Renato Sanchez as well. He's, he's another player that's um, that's also been linked as well. So, yeah, you can understand that Arsenal need to have, uh, have some recruitment there um, in, in that area as well, as well as the centre-forward department as well. So, but it all looking very good for them after that first half. You know, Gabriel's uh, rush of blood. Guys, answer me one thing quickly. Why do fans applaud their players when they are sent off? It makes no <laughs> sense whatsoever to me in the slightest. In fact, yeah. it gets me a little bit frustrated. Yeah, there's been two recently. There was Jimenez against against Man City for Wolves, which was an absolutely stupid sending off, and he got applauded off, and I could not believe that. It happens all the time. Yeah, that's... When Brunty got sent off against your lot, in the 80th minute, people are standing up and applauding. I'm thinking, hang on, this is this is this not a playoff set for me? Are we, are we not hamstrung yeah, it's, here? It's uh, weird. Yeah, you know, admittedly, it's, it's showing support. It's the tribalism of showing the support no, for your team. It makes no sense. Fans it makes, get it makes, so it makes, cross. It makes no sense whatsoever. Fans get so cross about the most inane things, yet someone does something that is catastrophic in getting <laughs> sent off, and they get applauded. It, it is weird. Yeah, it does make no it's sense. It's how you never see a player getting sent off and then the whole stadium just roundly turning Everyone on them. Boom. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe it's the Cantona effect. Since, since Eric Cantona did what he did, no no one wants to, wants to have a go at players getting sent off. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's what it is. What are the top, what are the top four odds for Arsenal at the moment, Steve? Because they, they did give it a good go against Manchester City. I was actually really, really impressed with them. Impressed. Up until yeah, they that first half, they limited Manchester City to not a great deal. They scored. Saka's goal was great. It was a great move. You know, they had shots on target. They had further chances. They're into 15 to 8. The same price as Spurs and, and Manchester United well. So... It's absolutely game on there. And you're thinking with the so-called decline of or, or, or taking time for Rangnick to get his feet under the table, then why can't Arsenal challenge for the top four? Well, the title race looks over, as we said earlier. It's, it's that battle for fourth, actually, that might yeah, be the yeah. most interesting it, thing it that happens. It's the battle for fourth spot that's going to make it you know, more entertaining. And the, and the relegation race could be over soon as well. So yeah. that's probably the most interesting race of, uh, of the season that's remaining. And what's your prediction for this one, Steve? Yes, uh, it's an interesting one. You know we'll have a centre-half from a set-piece, Dan? I've been waiting for this all, all show, to be honest, for there to be something like this. You'll have to bear with me on this. You'll have to, because it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's contrived to say the least. Rob Holding, right, has been on my radar since God knows when, right? He was actually involved in the goal that Per Mertesacker scored in this four, in their 4 2 defeat at the City Ground back in 2018, right? He hit the post, Mertesacker bundled it over. Holding has scored one goal for Arsenal since, just one against Nottingham Forest in the EFL Cup in 2019. Now, many a chance has come and gone since. He's done this, he's hit the post, the keeper saved it. Rob Holding, from a set piece, any time against Forest this weekend. I'm holding out for a hero, Dan. <laughs> I'm you, holding you've done, out for a hero. You've done, you've done some serious research to come, to come up with that stuff that you've just, <laughs> just spilled off there, Steve. Next up, Manchester United v Aston Villa. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to call Cupset. Manchester United are going to knock Villa out. That's what, that's what, that's what I think. Because has, has, has Rangnick really improved anything at Old Trafford, George? Uh, not really. Um, you know, it's been a pretty shambolic start um, to his short reign. I think there are two ways of looking at this. Um, I think the role of interim manager is different to the role of manager. And I wonder whether or not Ralph Rangnick sees this as being... A, an audition for the main job if he if he does it's not going particularly well um, but if you're an interim manager you, you would think your job is to basically get a club back on the straight and narrow because if the plan is to hire a manager in the summer unless you are going to hire a manager who wants to play in this exact way it, it doesn't seem to be um, 
uh, the right means of getting players on side and and you know sorting out the mess that the Oligon Solskjaer left. So there is that, and and I think that it's basically impossible to argue that that Ranić is employing the right set of tactics and the right mentality in order to get this Manchester United side um, and this Manchester United squad performing at the highest possible level. Having said that, I think some of the blame has to lie with the players, and it's something we spoke about here on this podcast many times under Ollie's reign, where the club itself had fallen into a state of complacency, which I think we're still seeing now, where a manager comes in and immediately starts asking questions of the players and demands a different work ethic. And we're seeing so many quotes now in the press across the whole media of players talking about how they're not particularly impressed with with Ranić. The ultimate insult, seemingly, within football circles are where some of them, shock, had to Google him to find out who he was. And all of this stuff. Whereas, you know, the, the buck has to stop with the players at some point. You know, this, this, this group of players have to perform at a higher level. You can't just down tools when you're not impressed with the, with the manager who's got such a, 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 a reputation amongst football. You know, this isn't a guy who's been plucked from obscurity and, and been promoted to a big job previously. Um, it, the whole club is in a state where it needs needs to be woken up effectively and in my mind if I was uh, a Manchester United fan I would look at those players who are uh, seemingly more keen to speak to those in the press and leak stories about not being particularly happy with what's going on at Manchester United rather than knuckling down and trying to work and trying to improve things as being the ones that you need to to get rid of in order to to start again afresh next season because at the moment, whether or not the performances are worse than they were um, before, it, it feels like United are almost further away from being the stable, successful club now than they were at the end of, of Oli's tenure. Um, I definitely don't think the, the wrong decision was made to <laughs> to change manager, but there needs to be some soul-searching at the club now to work out how to get into a position where this is a football club that the best managers in world football will look at in the summer and say, yes, I want to go there. This is a squad of players who are all pulling together in order to want wanting to return to, to, to past glories. Because at the moment, there still seems to be a massive fracture between the playing staff, the coaching staff and the fans. Uh, and, and that can't be healthy. Let's talk about someone who I'm sure you'd like to talk about, Steve. Someone who'd probably be involved in a tip at some time in the near future for you. Phil Jones. Had a long <laughs> way to return to the Manchester United starting eleven. What a man. Yeah, I'm not going to tip him up to score against against your boys, Dan. I will be actually going to this game as well on Monday, which I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to. Hospo, uh, Phil Jones. Oh, it's always Hospo, always the Hospo. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll move on. Yeah, yeah. Phil. There's you at the top of the podcast making it sound like you're the one who goes to games the whole time, and I'm sitting on the sofa. You just get you just get you just, you just get wine and dined whilst I'm working, watching highlights, having to trawl through highlights. <laughs> I, I I have played to get in a few games this season. Oh, well I, done, I you. Remember too many, but I, I have. Uh. <laughs> um, listen, um, going back to Phil Jones' topic, absolutely brilliant to see him come through uh, unscathed and put in a, a, such an impressive showing after being out for, for so long. I can't imagine what he's gone through physically and, and, and mentally um, to get back on the football pitch. You know, three tackles, two interceptions, three blocks, best pass completion rate of Manchester United on the night, four progressive passes. Unfortunately for him, you know, no clean sheet, but. Massive step forward for him. He's still relatively quite young as well. I was uh, He's only 29, isn't he, as well? So hopefully there's yeah. a lot of football ahead of, ahead of Phil Jones after all the, all the stick he's taken. And, uh, and, and and good luck to the fella. I hope he kicks on and has a, a, has a, a good few years ahead of him. Your age ratings are very fluid on today's podcast, Dave. I'm sure you've earlier on in the podcast, someone was 29 and you were saying that they were they were, they were old <laughs> and then now suddenly Phil Jones is quite young at 29. Yeah, yeah, it's a narrative, isn't it? You've got to, you, yeah. Yeah, you got to, you got to do that. I'm, I'm quite a young 49, Dan, as well, by the way. We can see. We can see. We see it every week <laughs> on the Zoom, Dave. Now, this is a narrative I like. Villa linked to Philip Coutinho. I want that. I'm quite, I'm quite, quite satisfied with that. Although it does sound like there's four or five of the Premier League teams in for him it's as well. It's not April first, Dan. Is it? Is it April? Oh, I, I think you're going to be. I think you're going to be surprised, Steve. I really do. I think you're underestimating the relationship with Steven Gerrard. I, I can say there's this. A, uh, there's a great, uh, a great tweet during the rounds of um, of Villa, uh, Villa fans saying all Villa fans right now, and it's the video of, of Jack Grealish as he's pulling into the Man City training ground for the first time, saying yeah. "Where's Felipe?" Uh, which I absolutely love. Um, I mean, Coutinho would be a um, an interesting signing, you know, quite clearly in terms of pure footballing talent. 
he would be a, an unbelievable get for for Villa. Has he performed at that level in recent years? Not really. Um, do you necessarily need him when you already have uh, a player in Emiliano Buendia who is your own player and in the last couple of weeks is really starting to show the kind of form that I think Villa fans were expecting when, when he arrived at the club? I don't know. Do you want do you want to make a short-term loan signing that's going to stunt the progress of your own player who, in my opinion, certainly has um, the capability of going on to have a career that isn't too far off what Coutinho has managed? I- I'm not necessarily sure. But I can understand why Villa fans are excited. It is a statement of intent. His relationship with Steven Gerrard means that maybe, and, and given you know the, the wealth of Villa's owners, I guess if uh, if they pulled off this loan coup and he and he had a good second half of the season, it wouldn't be beyond the realms that he could be a, a Villa player next season as well on a permanent deal. So it, it's of course it, it's exciting. Um, it would uh, certainly fill a gap that was left in the summer. Um, and you know, as a statement signing, it would be it would be pretty impressive, and it would be good to have him back in the Premier League. Even if he does, I would say uh, shoot far too often and uh, I think uh, as a Villa fan you know some of those who are excited now might get frustrated about the constant pulling of the trigger from 35 yards uh, but certainly in terms of talent he's a, he's a great player and it would be exciting to have him back in the Premier League yeah, Stay Villa like we discussed with West Ham I, I actually think I, I encourage a cup run and I think from what Steve and Gerrard said he's going to go all, all, in, all in for the FA Cup because we're not going to go down no, so, no, we're well, not going to go famous, down. Famous last words, but we're not. No, we're, no, we're hopefully no, not no. going to go down. We know we're probably not going to get into Europe. Let's have a good crack at the FA Cup. Unfortunately, Dan, you're not going to get down. Now you wouldn't have thought so. Looking at the odds, thirty-three to one for the drop, twenty to one for the top six, yeah, five to four for a, for a top half finish. Um, last cup final I went to was twenty fifteen. I don't know if you remember it. Arsenal four <laughs> <laughs> 0 no, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that was enjoyable, um, but. What a great chance for for Villa to go for it this year, and what a better place to do it than than at Old Trafford. And I'm sure Stephen Gerrard will know and will be up massively up for this game as well. And I'm sure we'll see a strong Villa side going out there. And I can see Villa actually um, winning this game and going through to the next round. Villa, of course, have already won at Old Trafford this season, winning one nil earlier on in 2021 this season. George, have you got a tip for this one? Yeah, I think you've got about Villa at nine to two because of the what's going on at United because. It could get pretty toxic quite quickly if things don't start the way they want because we've seen Wolves, Burnley and other sides in the last couple of weeks able to to create plenty of chances against uh, United. You know, we are talking about a game here where just a couple of days ago, Wolves were quite clearly the better side against Manchester United. There's not a great deal in my mind between Wolves and Aston Villa, yet you're getting 9-2 to about the, the same thing happening. So... Um, you know, it, it might be proven wrong, but in a cup game where you know that Villa are going to look to attack at any possibility, and with question marks around key players, you know, especially with the with the talk coming out of the out of Manchester United this week around players um, not being happy about the manager, there could be a few shocks in the team selection as well. So um, yeah, I think Villa are a, a bit of a must bet here at ninety two. Thank you very much, George. Just enough time for me to remind you that if for some reason you're not a subscriber to The Athletic and you would like to change that, head to theathletic.com slash football pod and you will gain full access to all the brilliant articles as well as ad-free podcasts for just £3.33 a month for an entire year. That's theathletic.com slash football pod. And with the January transfer window open again, The Athletic are recording daily transfer shows, bringing you exclusive news and insight on any deals from the best newsroom in the industry. The only place you can hear these podcasts is on The Athletic app or by subscribing to The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. You can start a free trial today on that. My thanks goes to Steve and George and, of course, all of you for continuing to listen to us in 2022. Remember, hit that subscribe button so you never miss a show. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. Have a great weekend and enjoy the FA Cup third round. The Athletic.